I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the Jazz Notes podcast. I'm your host, Ben Anderson. A very nice Thursday. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. You can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Read me at kslsports.com. And of course, download the KSL Sports app. You can get all of our local coverage from the Jazz to the Utes to BYU, locals in the NFL, whatever you're looking for, RSL, golf. We've got you taken care of at kslsports.com and in the KSL Sports app. Just open it up on your phone in the App Store and uh, search KSL Sports. It'll be right there for you. Uh, training camp opens on Tuesday officially. Media Day's coming up on Monday, so we're about to get very busy with Utah Jazz news. And if you're a Jazz fan, I assume that's good news. So uh, with the season on the horizon, I figured I'd uh, take a few minutes to answer your final off-season mailbag questions. Uh, as we're trying to record this last uh, podcast for you. I appreciate everyone who stuck with me and stuck with us over the off season. So let's get right to it again. If you don't follow me on Twitter, do so, at Ben's Hoops. That's the easiest way to see. Every week I'll send out a tweet saying, hey, I'm recording this podcast coming up in a little bit. Send me your questions and I'll answer them, and then I do so on this podcast, and then of course in the accompanying article as well, if you don't have an opportunity to listen every week, which is very understandable, uh, especially if you're working from home. So I appreciate everyone who sent them in. Let's get started with Jason Burt. I understand that the Jazz brought in Eric Pascal, not only because he can help, but also because he's Donovan Mitchell's buddy. What happens if and when he doesn't play much? Does that backfire by making Donovan Mitchell mad if his friend isn't playing? So it's possible, you know, certainly if if he comes in and he's the 10th man in a nine-man rotation, I think there's an opportunity that Eric Pascal won't play a lot. In fact, opening the season, I think it's going to be hard to find time for him on the floor. I will say this, though. If that's your concern as a fan and understandable, uh, you have to understand that the Jazz have also considered every single contingency and every single potential fallout from bringing a player in, especially if they have a relationship with Donovan Mitchell, if they weren't going to play him, how Donovan Mitchell would handle that, how Eric Pascal would handle that, and what type of fallout it would have. Teams are so obsessive about these types of details and even more so about keeping their star players happy. You know, the Jazz had Darren Williams in the early 2000s, and they would go out and bring in you know, Roger Powell and D. Brown, who played uh, with the Illini at Illinois with, with 
with Darren Williams to keep Darren happy. And and it worked a little bit and those guys still didn't play a lot. Uh, but, but it's certainly something teams have done for a long time. So I do think Eric Pascal probably has a little bit of that. In fact, it's kind of the reason the Jazz brought in Joe Ingles in the first place. You remember they drafted uh, Dante Exum and wanted to get another kind of veteran Australian who had played with him before into the locker room. And it just so happened that Joe Ingles was a significantly better player. But one of the differences between D Brown and Roger Powell, who played at Illinois with Darren Williams and Eric Pascal and, and, and Donovan Mitchell right now is that Eric Pascal is a better player. You know, he's a legit NBA player. He made the all rookie team, had a bad season last year, injuries kind of needed a different role uh, in Golden State, his second season versus what he had his first season. But I still think he has some good NBA potential. The Jazz are going to be in real luxury tax, you know, in a real crunch uh, for the next few seasons, as long as Donovan Mitchell and, and Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley are on the roster because those guys have huge contracts. So you need to have guys that don't cost very much money and can play. And right now, Eric Pascal is one of those guys. He's on a very low contract because he was a second round pick. He's only got one year left on his deal, but uh, he can play. And then on top of that, he's Donovan Mitchell's friend. So I I think he'll find minutes. I think the Jazz will will figure out a way to get him on the floor, probably somewhat to avoid what you're talking about is, you know, frustrating he and Donovan Mitchell. Uh, But I'm sure even if he doesn't, the Jazz have figured out, you know, how Donovan would react to that how Eric Pascal would react to that and how they're going to find minutes for him on the floor. And I'll actually address that coming up here uh, in just a few questions. Glenn Anderson, no uh, no relation. Is our perimeter defensive problems fixed? Are they fixed? Uh, and if they have a slow start, do the Jazz make a landmark trade like other new owners tend to do? I, I don't think the Jazz defense is fixed. I don't think they went out and did anything to change their perimeter defense necessarily. Um, if it's getting better... It's going to come from Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley being healthier at season's end than they were this year where Donovan Mitchell was playing on a bad ankle and Mike Conley's hamstring seized up going into the second round and the Jazz just didn't really have veteran players to, to be athletes out there on the perimeter. And Mike Conley's the Jazz best perimeter defender uh, alongside Royce O'Neal, certainly among guards. Uh, I think Conley's the best one they have. Now, you could also see Jared Butler, the rookie out of Baylor, or... Trent Forrest, who we know has terrific size, uh, continue to prove that they have some defensive chops if they can work their way into the rotation. Uh, I should also add Mieoni could potentially continue to improve and work his way into the rotation. His size at 6'6 and 6'9 is pretty intriguing. Um, But otherwise, I just don't think the Jazz additions that they made in Eric Pascal and Rudy Gay are going to do much to to help them on the perimeter. Those guys really aren't good uh, perimeter defensive players at this point in their careers. So, Here's where it gets kind of tricky, and here's where it gets kind of weird. During the regular season, the Jazz are a really good defensive team because Rudy Gobert is so unique and so hard to plan for in one game. Like, you, know, you can read the scouting report. All these guys have played against him, but you're still going to try to do the same things you do every night against opposing teams, and you're going to try and do those against the Jazz. And generally, that means you're going to try and get to the paint and get layups, and if those don't work, you're going to kick out and kind of find your other scores. But Rudy Gobert is so good about taking away the rim that you have to adjust more dramatically to uh, adjust to that, to, to combat that, and you really don't have time to draw that stuff up during the regular season. So the Jazz defense ends up being really good during the regular season, but in the playoffs, when you do have more time to adjust and you can say, hey, let's make a switch like putting Terrence Mann at the five and bringing Rudy Gobert out of the paint, then that really starts to work for you, and that that hurts the Jazz defense significantly. And it's not Rudy Gobert's fault, it's the Jazz lack of versatility on the defensive end. So 
that's what the Clippers did, and it killed the Jazz, and, and you know, it's the reason they lost four games in a row to end their season, even though they had a two-game lead. In the regular season, the Jazz are going to be really good again defensively, and because they're so good offensively, it forces other teams to play catch-up, and then they get even worse defensively, or I should say on offense, which makes the Jazz better defensively. So the Jazz are going to almost fool themselves again, I think, into having a really good defense that could just as easily be picked apart in the postseason, unless one of you know, Trent Forrest or Jared Butler or Mieoni really proves that they're, you know, kind of high level perimeter defenders that can do enough to to justify being on the floor on the offensive side as well. I think that's going to be tough to do. It's hard to find two-way players. Those guys are at a premium. If the Jazz could have signed them more easily this offseason, I think they would have, uh, but there's just not a lot of guys like that. Will they make a trade if they have a slow start? They could. I just don't think they'll have a slow start. The same five starters are coming back. The same sixth man is coming back. The same seventh man is coming back. That's a luxury most teams in the NBA don't have, and the Jazz are really good. And then the guys that they added eight through ten in Rudy Gay and Hassan Whiteside and Eric Pascal are also good. So the Jazz, with their chemistry and with their existing talent, should hit the ground running and be really good again, I think, to start the year. So there's not going to feel like a huge need to make a switch on the the, the perimeter, to make a, a blockbuster trade. But I wouldn't rule a trade out, and we can talk about that coming up here in just a moment. Uh, Tommy Newell on Twitter. What are some historically great regular season teams? How did any of them take the next step? So I'll, I'll kind of adjust this question and, and you know answer it as opposed to saying, you know, Golden State has the most wins, whatever they win, 73 a few years ago, and they lost to the Cavaliers. So what did they do? Well, they added Kevin Durant. Well, that was a good adjustment. That's a good tweak. Uh, the Bulls won, you know, 72 games and, and won the championship. Okay, so that was also very good. Just do that if you can do that. Uh, the Jazz last season were the best regular season team in the NBA. So what has that meant historically, or what do you have to do to take the next step? Let's look at the Milwaukee Bucks, who a couple of years ago finished with the best season and our best record in the NBA. In fact, I think they did it in back-to-back seasons. And what did they do? Well, they went out and, and made some tweaks, and they added guys like P.J. Tucker uh, to come in to give them a little bit more of an edge and a little more versatility on the defensive side of the ball, and it helped them win a title. And that's what the Jazz are trying to do with, with Rudy Gay and Eric Pascal and Hassan Whiteside. That's what those guys' jobs are, come in and make those adjustments to make the Jazz a little bit better, and, and you'll have to see if it works. Now, it also just helps that you've done it before. It also just helps that you've been really good. It also just helps that you've you know, won the regular season and finished with the best record and had home court advantage throughout the playoffs, even if you didn't win a title that year. I wrote about this a little bit last month. I'm doing a 50-story breakdown in 50 days leading up to opening night. So if you're not following that, make sure you do. I tweet them out every day at kslsports.com and from my own Twitter account. Uh, just looking at you know how teams have fared. Uh, this was the, actually the very first story I wrote about defending the best record in the NBA going into this season in my 50-story countdown. Since 2001, here's a stat for you. Since 2001, Four of the 11 teams that have earned the best regular season record, but then didn't go on to follow up with the best record the next year. So, you know, you had a one-off as the best team in the NBA during the regular season, but you didn't follow it up the next season. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have this this strong, you know, step backwards. So if the Jazz don't finish with the best uh, regular season record again this year, it doesn't mean they've gotten worse. Four of the 11 teams that have earned the best regular season record but failed to repeat with the best record the next season, still went on to win an NBA title within the next five seasons. So let me repeat that one more time for you. Four of the 11 teams that have earned the best regular season record, but didn't do it again the next season, which would happen to the Jazz if they don't finish with the best record in the NBA, 
Four of those 11 teams still went on to win an NBA title since 2001. So in the last 20 years, that's, you know, it's not a lock, but that's a pretty good number. That's a pretty good predictor of success that nearly half the teams that at some point finish with the best record go on to be really good in the playoffs. In fact, finish as the best team in the NBA at season's end by winning an NBA title. That's really good. That's really impressive. Winning in the regular season traditionally shows you're going to win in the future. And you have to learn how to win in the playoffs. And winning during the regular season is a good step. And then having chemistry, weathering some of those losses, having disappointing ends to your season like the Bucks have had, like you know the Warriors had several years ago, like the Spurs have had, some of these teams that have done this, the Cavaliers have done it. Uh, granted, they had LeBron, uh, have gone on to win titles later on. So that's where the Jazz are. They need to hope that some of these successes and some of these failures turn into bigger success down the road. I think that's what they're uh, banking on in addition to their tweaks. So you can read that question. I'll, uh, I'll link to it here in my, uh, here in my article for you. Casey Colyar, uh, what are your thoughts on some of the other Western Conference contenders? And how do the Jazz match up with them this year? So... I think it's going to be mostly the same cast of characters from last season, though you can probably flip the Los Angeles teams. You remember the Lakers ended up uh, playing the Suns in the first round of the playoffs uh, because they ended up falling to whatever six and, and the Suns were third. I can't remember exactly what the seating was. And then the Clippers ended up in the four five matchup, which is how the Jazz ended up playing them in the second round. Uh, I think the Lakers are going to be better because LeBron's going to be healthier and Anthony Davis is going to be healthier. That's the main reason they're going to be better. And then you add Russell Westbrook, who should give LeBron James some nights off, and that will uh, make him better. Uh, even though I don't know what Russell Westbrook's going to do in the playoffs, Jazz have seen him absolutely wreak havoc uh, on the team. You remember last year in the regular season with the Wizards, the Jazz just couldn't figure out what to do against their attack because Russ was so aggressive. But then the Jazz have also faced him with the Oklahoma City Thunder, and he basically played them out of the series by shooting 40 times over the last couple of games of the series and really hurt the Thunder in that series. So, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook's a mixed bag. Everyone knows he's a mixed bag. They really can't shoot, but I would, uh, suspect, I would suspect they're not done adjusting their roster, understanding how much money they've got invested and how many players want to go and compete for a championship alongside LeBron and alongside Anthony Davis and Russ, uh, especially if they can shoot. So uh, I think the Lakers will continue to make adjustments and probably should be considered the favorites in the West. The Suns are still going to be very good, but I do worry about how much basketball Chris Paul's played in the last couple of years, played a lot with the Thunder, quick turnaround, played with the Suns, and then made the finals. Father time really is undefeated for the most part, though we are seeing these players who invest a lot in their body, LeBron, Tom Brady, you know, some of these guys continue to play in their 40s and be really good. So, uh, or, or, you know, mid-30s and later in the NBA, we should say, and Chris Paul's certainly in that grouping. So uh, the Suns will still be really good. I'm not sure how well the Jazz match up with them. They didn't match up particularly well last season when they got swept. I don't think the Jazz match up particularly well with the Lakers because they can play small and nobody matches up well with LeBron. Uh, I'll be curious about what the Warriors do. They add Klay Thompson back, but I think their best basketball is still behind them. Uh, Steph Curry is going to be really good, should compete for an MVP trophy again this season. Draymond's good. I don't think he's the Draymond of old. Um, and I just don't think their young guys are really ready to step up and help them. Wiseman looked like he was a long ways off, and some of their young draft picks this year should be okay, but I don't think they're ready to play right now. Uh, otherwise, Denver's kind of the only real other team I'd put in that mix. And until they get Jamal Murray back, which probably won't be this season, 
Certainly not at 100%. Uh, I don't think they're championship contenders. I think they're good. I don't think they're great without him. Otherwise, you know, the the Mavericks are far too Luka Doncic uh, dependent. Same with the Portland Trail Blazers and Damian Lillard. They just don't have enough other pieces to kind of, you know, take away what other teams do. And, and you saw how good uh, Luka Doncic is. He actually pushed the Clippers further by himself than the Jazz were able to. Uh, without some of those other pieces on the on the Mavericks, but I just don't think in total those teams have enough to compete for a title in the West. The way I think the Jazz, the Lakers, and probably the Suns will will be considered the favorites. Uh, Horace on Twitter: Any chance Quinn Snyder tries a ten man regular season rotation this year? I know he hasn't in the past, but maybe this postseason injuries have made him realize that guys need more rest. What about something like this? And then he lays out a ten man rotation which has Conley. Uh, Mitchell and Ingles getting point guard minutes, Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson, and Joe Ingles getting shooting guard minutes, Boyan Bogdanovich, Royce O'Neal, and Joe Ingles getting small forward minutes, Royce O'Neal, Rudy Gay, Eric Pascal getting power forward minutes, and then Gobert, Whiteside, and Pascal getting center minutes. Uh, I don't think you're going to see a 10-man rotation. Quinn Snyder's never done it. The Jazz were really good last year without doing it uh, and and had some unfortunate injuries with hamstrings and Donovan Mitchell's kind of fluke ankle injury uh, that really cost them in the playoffs. So I don't think you're necessarily going to see that. What I won't be surprised is if we see what I would call a nine-man rotation plus one throughout the season, which is essentially the Jazz stay at nine men every game, but they will swap a player out here and there to make sure those guys are getting rest that you've talked about, just to make sure you're limiting days off. If you're playing back-to-backs, if you have a random you know, one game over three nights and you can give a guy a full three nights off over you know, overplaying him versus overplaying him, I should say. Maybe you do that. And so your nine-man rotation would be whoever Eric Pascal steps in for that night. And that could be anybody at any number of, you know, three positions. He could take over for Ingles' backup minutes at the two. He could take over for Bogdanovich at the three. He could take over for O'Neal at the four. He could take over Rudy Gay's minutes at any given time. I don't think the Jazz would go into a game without a true backup center and just say that Eric Pascal is going to handle all those minutes unless there was a real emergency. Uh, but but even then, there's probably some minutes for him to uh, step up and get get a, get a few extra uh, opportunities on the floor playing the five, which he did uh, both of the last two seasons in Golden State. So I think he can do that. And then, of course, what you can do with the guards as well, with Trent Forrest and what he's proven to do and uh, what you've seen uh, so far from Jared Butler, which I know is not a lot, but he was so good at Baylor. If he proves that he can handle a couple of NBA minutes, you could also give Joe Ingles some rest. You could give Jordan Clarkson some rest. You could give Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley some rest. So the Jazz have options there, and then let's see what they do with Justin James. I know he's the newest guy on the roster. They just signed him to a two-way contract, uh, but he's got pretty good size. If he can also come in and play, you know, whatever it is, 45 days or unlimited days now on the two-way roster uh, as a two-way player, uh, and he can come in and steal some minutes at the at the three, maybe you can give Royce O'Neal a couple extra days off or Boyan Bogdanovich a couple extra days off, and you can use it that way too. The Jazz are deep. You know, Jazz are really deep. Uh, they're they're going to find ways to give days off if they need to, if Quinn Snyder decides he wants to, to allow players to get a little bit healthier before the playoffs. So I think you'll see that. I think you'll get that opportunity, uh, but I don't think necessarily the, that the Jazz jump to an automatic 10-man ma- rotation starting in game one. Uh, Paul Murrienzi, uh apologies, I'm sure I did not say that well. This is a prediction here. Rudy Gobert's going to try shooting 
uh, in camp, and he's going to impress everybody. You know, Rudy Gobert kind of tends to show off his jump shot a little bit in camp, certainly tries to do it at practice. I've tweeted out videos of Rudy Gobert shooting threes in the past uh, and making them, you know, looking pretty easy doing it, and then he gets to the regular season and he never really shoots because, as we've seen with Ben Simmons, shooting in the regular season and shooting in the playoffs or shooting in, you know, training camp or in summer are just all totally different things. It's just so much harder to do in a real game uh, versus what you see in the off season. So I don't think we're going to see Rudy Gobert step out much and shoot the ball. But how about this prediction? I think he probably will hit his first three this season, not because he wants to, not because he's going to be gunning for it, but because, you know, he continues to, to practice and will find himself on the floor in a late clock situation where he has to shoot the ball and uh, he ends up knocking a three in. So maybe that'll be my, my hot take of the season. And in the past, you know, he told me never say never when it comes to him making a three. So we'll see if he finally breaks through and uh, gets his chance to make one this season. Everyone's favorite, Jimbo Slice on Twitter. Uh, my final question here. Which players aren't on the team after the trade deadline? Also, would the Jazz allow a fan to do a halftime act this year if he promises to train all the cats to hold it until after the performance? we got to know a more secure number on how many cats that is. I think that's going to be the issue there. As far as which players are not going to be on the roster after the trade deadline, here's what I will say. I'd be stunned if either Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell are not on the roster. And I'd probably say the same thing for Mike Conley. They went out and signed him. He's the Jazz third best player. He's obviously taken them to the next level. He gives Donovan, he makes Donovan Mitchell's life so much easier. I don't think Mike Conley would be traded either unless some absolute, you know, bananas young player became available like Damian Lillard uh, and they just wanted to swap him straight up for Mike Conley. Otherwise, you're just not going to see it and that's not going to happen either. So, but let me break down how the Jazz could make some trades or why they would make some trades and, and what, you know, players could possibly go out and what that would mean for the team. Uh, the Jazz are very far in the luxury tax. You know, they're, they're going to be paying like $38 million this year in luxury tax penalties alone because of the way that the salary cap is structured. The Jazz are over the tax by so much that that by the end of these contracts this season, and I mean kind of this late money that's being added, they're paying like $3.5 for every dollar in a penalty uh, on some of these contracts uh, based on, on, on how it steps up. And, and if you don't, if you're not familiar with it, the NBA luxury tax works a lot uh, of the same ways that the, the U.S. tax, what we pay in our taxes, the same way it works. So let's say, you know, $50,000 and below is your salary. You pay a certain tax on that. If you make then between fifty and 75000 that money increases in how much you pay on it, though you still pay the same tax, zero to 50000 And then if you make between $75,000 and 100000 you pay a higher percentage tax on that money, though you get taxed the same on fifty to seventy-five, and then lower on fifty to zero, if that makes sense. It, it's incremental. It jumps the more you make. But until you make it to that next level, you, you always pay the, the, the same tax below that. So Here's a breakdown of the type of money the Jazz could shave off their luxury tax bill if they could flip some of these players for, say, like a draft pick or a second-round draft pick and not take any money back in return. If the Jazz were to trade Boyan Bogdanovich's $18.7 million contract this year, that would totally take them out of the luxury tax, and they'd save $38.8 million. bucks. So that's on top of Boyan Bogdanovich's $18.7 million. So if you were to trade him for, say, a first-round draft pick to a team that said, we really have to have a shooter, and the Jazz say, well, you know, Royce O'Neal and Rudy Gay and Eric Pascal can more than handle the three forward minutes, uh, or Justin James steps in and he can really do a lot of great things, he's a really good shooter, 
he can play, the Jazz could save $55 million by trading Boyan Bogdanovich at the trade deadline. That's a ton of cash. And then it could get even more significant in savings when it comes to the Jazz paying the repeater tax, which happens if you end up in the luxury tax in three out of four seasons over a, over a, any four-year stretch. So the Jazz paid a little bit last year. If they were to avoid it this year and then avoid it next year, they would make sure that they don't reach it in the four season, three seasons from now. Uh, so if you traded Boyan Bogdanovich's $18.7 million contract, you'd save $38.8 million in luxury tax savings alone, and you'd get under the luxury tax apron. If you were to trade Joe Ingles' $13 million contract, you wouldn't get out of the luxury tax, but you'd save $31.3 million, again, plus his $13 million. So you're talking about almost $45 million bucks in savings. If you were to trade Jordan Clarkson's number, very similar to Joe Ingles' $12.4 million, uh, you'd save about $30.1 million in savings, and that's added together. It's about $42.5 million bucks you would save by sending him out. And then if you were to trade Royce O'Neal, who makes about $8.8 million, uh, you would save $23.7 million in luxury tax fees, plus the nearly $9 million his makes for a total of uh, just a little under $33 million bucks. so a little under $32 million. So, you know, it's a lot. Those guys make a lot of money, and the penalties that, that Ryan Smith is incurring by having those guys on the roster is very significant. If you can trade one of those players and you don't think it's going to hurt your overall talent or there's someone coming up behind him that's just as good, uh, there's a reason to make trades. And if you can get even better draft capital, which the Jazz are pretty depleted, that helps too because then you can draft good players that can be in your rotation in the future that don't cost anything and, again, keep you under the luxury tax. So that's kind of the reason why the Jazz could make a trade, why I wouldn't rule one out. But I don't think you're going to see a trade with either, you know, Gobert or Mitchell or Mike Conley, though I think most people would probably expect that. It's also true that if you trade the, any of these guys, the Jazz are not better. You know, the, the Jazz don't get better by not having Royce O'Neal on the roster. I don't think they get better by not having either Jordan Clarkson or Joe Ingles on the roster. And I think you saw how good Boyan Bogdanovich can be late in the season when both Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell were hurt. He's just absolutely a fabulous scorer and can be a difference maker. That will do it. Uh, I appreciate everyone who sent in their podcast questions. Find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Read me at kslsports.com. Again, download the KSL Sports app in the App Store, and we'll be back with you again with an update from training camp starting next week. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.